Welcome back to The Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander. Today's show is brought to you by my new digital course, Nine Ways for the ADHD Dad to Radically Improve Communication. Do you ever struggle to communicate with your spouse or your family in a way that feels meaningful? Have you found yourself consistently taken advantage of at work and in your personal life because no one seems to care how it affects you? If that sounds familiar, then you have a communication problem. ADHD or not, dad or not, if you are not able to identify, define, and communicate what is important to you with authority and intention, you will continue to struggle. I know that from experience. If you can't communicate what matters to you, it is almost impossible to do anything that matters. The Nine Steps for the ADHD Dad to Radically Improve Communication is a self-paced digital course that will guide you to reclaiming the power of your voice to speak the life you deserve into existence. It's available at www.authenticidentitymanagement.com forward slash nine steps hyphen special offer. For a limited time, not only can you get this course at a special limited time price that you need to see to believe, but I am also throwing in some really valuable bonus materials completely free of charge. Again, for a limited time, not only will you get the course at a special low price, but you will get all the following completely free. Access to the ADHD Dad's private community where I post live content daily the impactful audio lesson, the 10 hacks for the ADHD dad to thrive in the workplace, access to the passion, purpose, and self-acceptance video collection featuring Jim Rohn, Jordan Peterson, and Garrett J. White, a digital download of the powerful Unmasking ADHD Blueprint, and for the cost of shipping and handling only, an exclusive ADHD dad t-shirt so you can represent your allegiance to that ADHD dad life. That is all available at www.authenticidentitymanagement.com forward slash nine steps hyphen special offer. Again, that is www.authenticidentitymanagement.com forward slash nine steps hyphen special offer. You can also just click the link in the show notes and now back to the regular. Hello and welcome back to Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander. I am your host, Bruce Alexander. Do I have a treat for the authentic audience today? I say channeling a 1960s grandmother. I'm a little giddy to sit down with stand-up comedian and legend of the Kill 20 podcast, Celia Contreras. <laughs> More about Celia after today's reflection. Today, I'm, ex I'm asking listeners to explore the potential rewards of putting it all out there. What would it look like if everything went right? If you were to disassemble any facade you have been hiding behind, can you imagine what the best possible result would be? This is the way I have embraced living, why I'm an authenticity coach, and why I make this show for you to hear. I am literally betting my life on the power of putting it all out there. What I have found is that my dreams weren't big enough. The acceptance I have found when I have given others a chance to meet me where I am has really blown my mind. The opportunities I have found, the purpose I have felt since embracing my authentic self has only propelled me further into this journey for authenticity because it just feels right. I would love to hear what, you, what experience you have had with putting it all out there. Tell me if you have found what I have or not. Go to the At Authentic Identity Management Episode 28 Reflection Post on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn, and let me know what is stopping you from putting it all out there. If you are struggling with where to start, type potential in the comments, and I will reach out to you and set up a free 30-minute consultation to see how I can help you start putting it all out there and reaping the benefits of your authentic life. If you love the space we are creating on this podcast, or just want to help advance my mission of making the world a safer place for authenticity, here are a few ways you can help support this show. Leave a review and tell me what you think is great, needs work, or you would like to see more of in the show. 
follow the show on your favorite podcast platform or all the platforms you use, use that share function. Send an episode of this show to someone you care about or post about it on your social media feeds and in your stories. Those are all free ways to permit to sorry to promote the authentic mission. If you aren't comfortable being a spokesperson for authenticity, you can be a financial backer of the authentic mission by going to Patreon and searching Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander and signing up for a membership. I am dedicated to the work of this mission long term, but I would love your help in making more quickly the world a safer place to show up as yourself. I have become a huge fan of this podcast called Kill Tony. It is the number one live podcast in the world, and I and much of the time it is everything that this podcast is not. Crass, unforgiving, harsh, and insensitive. But there are times when it is everything I want this show to be. Let me back up and provide a little more background on the structure of the show. The show's main host, comedian Tony Hinchcliffe, and his producer partner, Brian Redband, set up in front of a live audience and allow any person who has the desire to sign up for one minute of uninterrupted comedy, followed by an interview. The names are dropped into a bucket, pulled at random, and merged with a sprinkling of weekly regulars. The hosts are joined by two or three guests who provide commentary throughout the night's entertainment. The bucket is filled with names that range from veteran comics to immature time wasters who don't comprehend the opportunity to people praying that this is the shot they need to take them from homelessness to stardom. What I really love so much about Kill Tony is that it is that shot. Tony is a total savage. He will tear you apart unless one of two things are true. You are hilarious or you are honest. If you blow your one minute of stand up, you have a chance to make an impression during the interview. And the thing that holds true in both is authenticity wins. In that rare instance, when someone brings it all together and uses their own story to make people laugh, makes deep, authentic connection through honesty, and makes everyone who is listening pay attention and care. Celia Contreras is that person. I was watching an episode and working, laughing when appropriate, but not really connecting. Until a bucket pool was announced as a Kill Tony legend, and that perked me up a bit. Before the jokes, or before the jokes start, I just want to say, if you are out there and you have a disability, don't let it stop you from being the type of person you want to be. This was followed by a hilarious joke that I will encourage the audience to search YouTube for the video to hear. But in that moment, she had me. I could feel the sincerity, and I was along for the ride for the for a hilarious minute. What made this <clears throat> sorry, what made all of this extraordinary was the interview. Standing there in front of Roseanne Barr, David Koechner, Tony Hinchcliffe, and hundreds of comedy fans, Celia bared her soul and shared her story. The result left me in tears and on a mission to secure an interview. I was ready to go to extreme lengths to get a sit-down with this astonishing human being. That was not required. I literally just commented on a Facebook post and sent a DM on Instagram and Facebook, and here we are less than a week later, face-to-face for a conversation. I am happy to welcome to the show, Celia Contreras. Welcome, Celia. How's it going? It's going really good. I'm so glad we were able to connect and I was able to get you on my show. I feel like this is a big deal. I don't know. Maybe it's not too. Oh, no. Like, I'm excited. I'm like, it's good for me to be doing stuff. I just got out of a depressive episode. So I've kind of just been like laying in bed, staring at the ceiling a lot. I'm, I'm glad that you have taken this time to step outside of that and, and help me share your story because I think it really is an amazing one. But before we get too deep into that experience, can you tell me, or tell the audience who you are in your own words, how you spend the majority of your time, and why you came on the show today? Um, yes, my name is Celia Contreras. I've been doing stand-up comedy for the past seven years. I um, 
Yeah, I was dragged kicking and screaming to my first open mic and fell in love with it. And I can't imagine doing anything else with my life now, like comedies, like, but like, it would be ideal if I like could get paid for like doing comedy and just have that as a job. But I do have like really big comedy goals too. Like I do want to be one of the greats. And then if they say it's better to aim high than miss, the name low and hit. So it's like, all right, Mark Twain Award. Let's go. So what made you say yes to this interview? Um, I get my validation through strangers. Uh, no. Um, no, I like the idea that uh, it was like talking about like real shit and like being authentic. As, as much as like of my family, it pains me to say it. But a lot of the people in my family are super fake and don't say what's on their mind unless they're just in a bitchy mood. So it's like <laughs> right. a lot of like insincerity, like band kind of compliments, like bitching at somebody for one reason, but really being mad for another. It's all like, you know, we can all just talk to each other like human beings. So I do like. What makes you different? Why, why don't you like, why don't you act that way? Why are, why are you so different from your family? Um, there's times when I can be like that, but there was, uh, like, she's my hero. I actually have her name tattooed on my wrist. Leo. Um, she's my grandma. And she's probably, well, she was probably the most real, most savage motherfucker you would ever meet in your whole life. She wasn't, like, she was, like, a good Catholic woman, but, like, the rest of my family who gets, like, butter and everything, my grandma will say the most devastating thing to you regardless of your age, your skin color, your background. You could be president of the United States. You could be a, just a cat that she's mad at. She will cuss you the fuck out. And uh, I always appreciated <laughs> that about her. Like, and a whole bunch of, like, fake people. And, like, just, like, grown-ass women asking, acting like high school girls. Like, there was my grandma. It's all like, yeah, you're fucking up. <laughs> And then, it, like, nobody in my family likes my grandma particularly, except for me and my grandpa and my nephew, Sean. That's about it. Everybody else, like, her nicknames were Grandma Cujo, the dragon. Um, shit, what else did they call her? Like, Cujo made me to laugh more, because most, because mom's like, yeah, you know that evil dog that Stephen King wrote about? That's her, because she's a fucking bitch. I'm like, okay. But, yeah. My grandma was a bitch. So, I mean, I, I, I've come to learn that a lot of people relate honesty and authenticity with kind of being a bitch. Yeah. Um, oh, that's on both sides. Both, both people who say they are authentic will sometimes actually just be a bitch. And sometimes people who are just being authentic will get called a bitch. I think it can be like, you know, appropriated incorrectly on yeah. both ways. What do you what do you think authenticity is? Um it's uh, a good question. So yeah, no, like just if something's on your mind, say it. Like you I don't like like cat like I personally can't stand being in a room where I feel like I have to pretend to be a different version of myself. Like I shouldn't have to change myself for every social situation. And my mom was actually really fucking good at that. 
and like i got that from her for a while that's all but like i just mm-hmm. go and like i just chameleon myself into whatever room and it's like okay but uh then i got tired and angry and then i kind of did go into bitch mode for like five years some call it being a teenager um but yeah and no, i started like because were you actually a teenager though um yeah but i started getting like I got really mean for a while, like I'd say between 15 and 20, then I got really sad and then really meaner. Um, I don't know, like it was weird. Like there was a whole bunch of like tipping points that you have enough fucked up shit back, ha- fucked up shit happen to you. You're just kind of like, what? why am I going out of my way to make others comfortable? Like maybe I want them to feel uncomfortable. And like, I will admit there's like sometimes where I'm just like, I'm just going to say some outlandish shit to make you uncomfortable because I'm always uncomfortable and I want you to know what it feels like to feel out of place. Like sometimes it's that like when I go down that Mm. path, but, um, yeah, but I'm weird. So I'm just weird now. Like what makes what makes you say that? What makes you say that I'm weird? Uh, I get told it a lot, and, like, I don't follow a lot of the norms, especially in my family. Like, no one in my family particularly likes to read. I was a big reader. I'm the only one of my mom's kids who doesn't have kids. Uh, I've never been married. I don't like relationships at all. Huge one-night stand, girl. Can't wait till I have hooker money. Save a lot of time and effort. Uh, like I overshare, I guess. But because I'll just tell family stories, and like other people will be telling family stories, but theirs is like wholesome. It's like remember when we went to Epcot Center, and we got the hats, and we laughed and signed, and took pictures with Mickey. Meanwhile, I'm like, do you remember that time I put your head through the drywall because you pissed me off, and then you slammed my head on the refrigerator, and we broke the glass window. Or I'll like tell a regular story, like how yeah, wow. we're a violent people. Uh, like I also didn't know a lot of shit that happened at my house wasn't normal for other people, and I'll just tell a story. And one of my friends, Lou, he made me laugh. He's like, "Sally, every time I think you can't say anything more depressing about your life, you somehow outdo yourself each time." I'm like, I wasn't even trying to be depressing. I was just talking about my dad, but I did right. notice. Well, if if it makes you feel better, you you are here with another person who also calls himself weird. Um, I think that people who are honest about their situation are often construed weird. But I'm I'm actually owning that. Like I'm I'm totally okay with being weird. My kids are all they all call themselves weird and are they're happy about it. And I think that's kind of the way that the world should be. If we were all the same, how boring would that? That's be? true. And like I do love that I live in Austin now, and like they're whole they're saying is keep austin weird and like they have it on shirts and everything mm-hmm. and i'm like you know what that's actually pretty cool like i like that still confused by horse shit girl but i respect what she did i doubt that was fucking weird it was not i don't know um there was i don't know anything about that so uh like a couple of months back um so they closed like i live on sixth street and they call it dirty six but like for major events and like Friday, like Thursday through 
sometimes Sunday, at least Thursday through Friday. Um, they close down 6th Street and like they'll tow the cars if they're in the way, but everybody just walks through 6th Street and just goes from like one bar to another. But they have um, the mounted police division and like police mm-hmm. cars and everything everywhere. But the mounted police went by and a horse took a shit in the middle of 6th Street. And this drunk girl runs up to it and starts rolling around in it. And that's how she got the name Horseshit oh, Girl. Why? Yeah, exactly. But then I guess I'm guessing somebody got this on video. Um yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. And like I'm trying to find the interview oh because God. like they interviewed her afterwards and like I'll never forget her response when they asked her why. She's like, I'm an artist. And it's all like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, I re- like it's like bashed and insane, but oh. you gotta respect that. I mean, if if you think that's art, then yeah. you know, bully for you, but I think it stinks. Boom, boom. Eh. So, can you tell me what are some ways that you are described both correctly and incorrectly by others? Um, I get told I'm intimidating a lot. Like, just when I'm sitting by myself, like, it's mostly, like, the newer comics now, but I get told I'm either intimidating or unassuming. Like, I uh-huh. got told by someone, and I actually do agree with the statement. It's all like, I think you'd do well in prison, and, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'd run that shit. I really would. <laughs> Have you ever seen, um... Oh god, what is it called? It's the Australian prison show. It's about a woman's prison, and I just totally blanked on the name, but I love it. Um, there's a there's a, a bigger woman named Boomer. They call her, her name is Boomer, but they call it Boomer because it's in Australia. And she, I think that she kind of has that same thing going where people think that she's mean, but she's like, like honestly like a super sweet person. But she she will bring the heat if she has to, and will will kind of you know mess some people up. And I like I miss that show because she was awesome. Yeah. Um. There's, I'll have to check it out. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people do think I'm sweet. And like, it could honestly go either way. I do have bipolar disorder. So if you catch me in the wrong day or the right time, like some days I want to throw down. Other days I'm like, come here, rest your head on my shoulder. So I am all over the place. I think a lot of people think I'm smarter than I am. I'm just, I've just read a lot. So like, I mean, isn't that what what being smart is? Just having the information from reading? Like, maybe, but, like, I do stupid shit all the time. Like, I, like I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, like, I for, like, I'll forget I'm wearing makeup, and then I'll, like, look at myself in the mirror, and, I'll, like, this happened at Skankfest. I wasn't even drunk yet. But, like, I go to the bathroom, and I was wearing lipstick, and as I'm approaching the mirror and I'm like, shit, this chubby prostitute's about to ask me out and I don't have the money. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> but you were going to say yes if you had the money, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big compliment to yourself. Like, you would date you. Yeah, grudgingly. <laughs> no. Uh, well, at, at le- you would at least one night stand you. Uh, 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 <laughs> multiply night stand myself. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. Vibrators um let's see uh yeah no like i don't know if i actually would date me like i'll do shit like the stuff you're supposed to do in relationships because it's like i can just do that 
like we both like I want somebody to buy me flowers and I'm like or I can go buy me flowers I know what flowers I like I know the color I like I can help them rearrange them but like yeah I can buy me flowers I can take me out to dinner I can go to the movies and I'm going to ask a a deep question here because you you just told me that you're bipolar Mm -hmm. you've got some stuff going on um are you do you actually not like relationships or are you afraid to put yourself into one fully because you're afraid that your bipolar is going to make somebody not do those things for you that you that you want out of a relationship? Okay, I will admit that is like a part of it. But the whole thing is it sounds fucking exhausting, dude. Like just like the constant checking in on each other. <laughs> and like I like to be by myself a lot too. Like I like being going out and being social. But I don't want to be around somebody 20, like not 24-7, but like living with somebody sounds awful. Like I get annoyed when people, like depending on the person, there's some people I can talk to every day, but I'll be all like, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you for a couple of days. Not you. I, uh, I'm just feeling antisocial. I'm like, okay, yeah, we get it. Or like, but the other thing is like, I just so many bad relationships I've seen in my family alone and like just seeing like the crazy shit that's going on like everybody in my family's cheating on each other with everybody remember I lost my mind at a family reunion one time and started pointing out everybody's flaws because they told me not to be sad because like my mom drove me nuts um because like especially around Christmas time she'd be like I should just kill myself I'm worth more dead than I am alive then maybe you guys would have something. But, like, your mom's saying she should kill herself, like, ten times a day. Every day. Like, that fucks with you. And, like... I, I, can, I, I can agree with you. The reason my mother and I don't talk is because she committed... Or she attempted to commit suicide and blamed it on me. So yeah, that, that. that was, like, the last fuck. toxic thing that I, I could handle with. I was like, wow... Okay, I think that maybe you and I need some time apart. And, like, there has been that. Like, I'm slowly starting to talk to my family members again. But after, like, before, like, my depression started, like, kicking in a while before I uh, actually started doing comedy. But, like, there's this weird period where, like, I think I was, like, a couple months into comedy. And that's the first time I went to the psych ward because I had a psychotic manic episode. And, uh, that, that was a whole fucking thing. Cause like I was happy and like, I hadn't been happy in a long time and I was finally happy. And I thought I figured everything out. And like, it, like having a psychotic manic episode is like being on a lot of drugs at the same time. Like the closest comparison I could say is one time I did some acid and a whole bunch of cocaine, which I would not recommend. That's they don't even have a name for that because nobody puts those two together. Like that's not something people do. Yeah, because you shouldn't. Um, yeah. Like I did it the one time, but I was sitting there. It's like, uh, okay, this reminds me of me going to the psych ward. And I'm like, I'm gonna give this little baggie to you, and then yeah. So let me let me ask you. Like I, I hear about you know bipolar, manic manic depressive episodes, stuff like that all the time, but. I I'm not a bipolar person. I'm ADHD. I'm very open about the you know fact that I've had some general anxiety issues uh-huh. and like I've been through some depressive periods as well. But like the bipolar thing is it's totally different. I've had like I feel like a small degree of mania is normal 
in a lot of different mental illnesses, but with bipolar, it's, it's different. Like it's next level. What is, how often do you enter that mania state? And is that like really your only happy? Um, no, but like the whole first psych ward trip, I went to a God awful place and I like anybody who listens, if you're in Arizona and they try to send you in the guidance center in Flagstaff, Arizona, just kill yourself there because those people almost fucking destroyed me. Um, they, they pumped wow. me full of a whole bunch of drugs. Like, I get, like, they had to sedate me and bring me down from the mania. But, like, the way they explained it to me, it's like, okay, so because you have bipolar disorder, none of your emotions are real. And I'm like, what? It's all like, mm. whenever you're happy, you're not happy. You're manic. Whenever you're sad, you're not sad. You're depressive. When you don't feel anything at all, that's when you're normal. And, like, the way they said that, it's all, like, that doesn't sound, Ooh. like, so what about other people who are, like, happy? And, like, I, like, tried to, like, get more clarification on it. I ended up going to, like, a different psychiatrist afterwards and, like, talking to her. And she's, like, no, like, if something good happens to you and you're happy, that that's that's a proper response. But, like, the thing is being mm-hmm. happy for no reason. And, like I said, I just had a depressive episode. Like, I'm doing better than I have in a long time. Like, I'm doing well with comedy. I haven't been homeless in, like, five months. Um, I've been showering every day, which, small victories. <sighs> overrated. <Yeah. laughs> Showering every day is is not really overrated. It is just so hard to do. I'm ADHD getting in and out of the shower. Like if I don't have something to do where people are going to possibly smell me, I'm like, this is not a priority. Well, that does. I should, I should do better. That's fair. Um, No, but there's been like, I do have hygiene issues when I'm sad, but yeah, I just woke up sad on, I think it was either Thursday or Wednesday of last week. And uh, I finally started pulling out of it last night. But, like, from Monday until yesterday, I'm, like, forcing myself to leave the house, even though I didn't want to, writing in my mood journal, getting out of bed. Um, But it's really hard. So, yeah, I, I saw a couple of your Facebook posts whenever I was, you know, tracking you down. And, you know, I saw a lot of, like, force myself to get out today, you know, the experiences that you had when you forced yourself to get out it seems like that forcing yourself out does provide a lot of like lubrication for the machine of getting back to a normal state. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, it does help. I don't know how to explain it, but then I started like remembering other things. Like I have a booklet. I need to figure out where I put it. Like I know it came with me, but it's like a whole bunch of like self care things to do. Cause like there is a lot of work with bipolar disorder. Like, it is manageable, and, like, I'm finally on meds that, like, actually work and don't turn me into a fucking zombie. <clears throat> but I do still have my highs and lows. Um, but, yeah, forcing yourself to get out, and, like, they're, like, one of the things is, I guess, like, singing releases endorphins. So when I forget about that, like, I'll sit there and, like, sing along to sad songs, but it'll kind of, like, perk me up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. try not to fix it. Like, it really depends, but there are like, there's days when I'm not sad and I just want to be by myself and I'll be like, okay, by myself for three days, I'm going to read books and stuff. 
And then there's other days where it's all like isolation. It's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't deserve to talk to anybody. It's all like, I can't make this shit other people's problems. It's like, I'm not worth it. And like, you just start to spiral and then you get lower and lower. It's all like, I don't deserve this. It's all like, you know what? I'm fat. I'm not going to eat because it's not like I need food. Um, I'm going to over drink. I'm going to Shane smoke this entire pack of cigarettes. Um, like, and like I do self-harm sometimes. I haven't done it in a while, but, uh, I think the last one was like nine, 10 months ago now. But like, I do know that's like, cause I have my safety plans in place cause I noticed there's steps. It goes into like isolation, not showering. And then like, being tired but not necessarily sleeping just kind of like laying in bed all day and then self-harm and normally when it gets to self-harm it starts to go it's like maybe I should just walk into traffic kind of shit so I know when I have those thoughts and I'm like fuck I have to pull out of shows check myself into the psych ward and like figure this shit out how many times have you been in a cycle? Uh, three times total. The first one for the psychotic manic episode, which like being too happy doesn't sound like a problem, right? But like the problem with like mania, mm. that's fair. But like the thing is, and how it was explained to me, it's like the thing is you have illusions of grandeur and you think you're capable of anything and everything. So you feel so good. You convince yourself you're Superman, and then you try and do Superman shit, like jump off the side of the building. You're not trying to kill yourself, you just think you can mm. fly. So, that's yeah. how that can be dangerous. And then, like, sometimes, like, parts of it are, like, auditory uh, hallucinations, visual hallucinations. Like, I have another friend who helped me when I found out I was bipolar because she's bipolar. Also, there's different levels. There's bipolar one that I have. Or you have the ups and the highs. There's bipolar too, where it's just like you're in the middle and down. Like, but it's either like you're good or you're depressed. You're good or you're depressed. And then bipolar one is all like boom, mm -hmm. boom. And then there's like cyclomidia, I think it's called, where it's just like constantly it kind of looks like a heartbeat. It's like or a dolphin jumping out of the water. It's like I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm oh, down. Geez. But um well, so, so real quick, can you, you're, you're talking about being depressed on the back of what, what seems like the, your entire, your entire world opening up for you. Yeah. Like, you know, after that kill Tony, you, you know, appearance, it seems like, like this is the conversation is going totally different than I thought it would. And that's, that's completely okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here okay. for it. Like, and I, and I appreciate you being honest with your story, but whenever something like what happened on the show happens to hear that you're coming off of a, like a pretty serious depressive episode is really kind of jarring. Do you share that with people in your everyday life? Like, do they know that you're depressed? Yeah, no. Again, I'm pretty open. And like when I post on Facebook, I was like, I didn't have it for the long time. And it's weird. Cause like the first time I got depressed, like I was dismissed by like my entire family. My mom said I was too sarcastic to be depressed. My sister said I'd get over it. It's just a phase. And then I tried to kill myself two weeks later and didn't tell them. I didn't say shit to them. And then, like, I kind of opened. Why would you? Yeah. 
And I worked at McDonald's with my brother at the time. And yeah, like I didn't want to tell anybody. And I was like, I was very ashamed. And I'm like, why am I like this? It's like, I should be thankful. And like, I'm Catholic. So there's all that guilt. It's all like, Jesus didn't die on a cross for you to throw your life away. And then, uh, hmm. like all that shit. But like, I started talking to my brother a little bit about it. And like, I'll tell them when I go to the psych ward, but they're pretty kind of like, okay. That's fine. I'm like, all right, but I'll tell my friends and they're like, okay, we're going to get a care package for you. Here are numbers for you to write down. So I like went from like being depressed and like trying to deal with it all by myself to having people who actually do care and uh, comics. I love stand up comedians so much because we, it's just an eclectic group of the craziest, meanest, sweetest fucking people you'll ever meet. Like, if my sister tells me to go kill myself, like, I'm going to assume that she, like, actually wants me to. If a comic tells me to go kill myself, that's just how we say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't yell. That's like an I love you. Yeah, like, I. That's like an I love you, right? Uh, Yeah. But, like, how, like, me and my friends greet each other is, like, just yelling, like, slurs at each other. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And, like, one time I was sitting there, it's all oh like, yo, goodness. go back to Mexico, you stupid wetback. And I turned around. Just, I was about to throw down because I thought somebody was calling one of the cashiers a wetback. And it turns out it was one of my friends yelling mm-hmm. at me. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, hey. It's like, how you doing? He's like, good. Can I join you? It's like, yeah, of course. But he, like, sits down. I'm like, he's not racist. We're just friends. And then the cashiers went back to what they were doing. So, um, can I'd like for the audience who doesn't know your story yet like i i would like for you to tell kind of how the kill tony experience went for you because like i, I first off how many times have you done a minute on the um, show um i've been on the show three times so the first time like all they all all of them went well yeah. and um like the first time i went up i did like it's called my dad joke set but i say do you like dad jokes and then I just tell fucked up jokes about shit things my dad did. Because, <laughs> like, one of them was, like, my dad had a really long rap sheet. Sometimes I'd wrap it around myself and pretend he was hugging me. So, like, that's one of them. That is good. So there was that. And then, so that happened in Phoenix. And, like, Tony liked me enough. He let me open for him the next day at Stand Up Live. And then, like, you see it if you watch the whole interview from the last time, it gets brought up the last two times I was on Kill Tony about how I drank half of his Crown Royal and then left. <laughs> yeah. I need to get a handle on my drinking. Um, I really do. But, um, yeah, so I did well that time. And then I happened to get up, like, I think it was after two, three months living here. I think I'm on month four or five of living here now. But I get up again, and uh, the guest on that night was Ty Rivera, who is a fucking hysterical comedian. And um, granted, does seem kind of bitchy. Actually, a really cool fucking dude. Um, but yeah, it was that night, and like I decided, like I was sitting there, like I'd already decided when I moved to Austin, because like I signed up for Keltoni like eight times at that point while I was in Austin. But they called my name and I wasn't expecting. I'm like, oh, okay. 
But like I had already decided the minute I was gonna do and I was gonna be my uh miscarriage set where I just joked about my miscarriages for like one minute straight. Cause like it's like I wanna make an impression. Yeah. And like I want people to know what kind of comic I am. And like I have, I've had so many people tell me like that's what was frustrating a little bit about the Arizona scene is like I had comics like Celia, you're such a talented joke writer. If you just wrote clean, you could get work. And like I get that and like I could, but like that's not me as a person. Like I have a dirty mind. I had a fucked up childhood. I have mental illness. And I did not have a wholesome upbringing and I've done some shitty shit. And I I I don't understand why other comedians would tell you to do a different kind of comedy because there's, there's other people doing clean comedy. There's other people talking about those other things. You, nobody can talk about your story, but you like that's, you own that. So why would anybody, and and it's funny. And I think that you are going to get work. I mean, you already have gotten work from doing your thing. I think that somebody to tell you if you just wrote clean is like really bad advice because then you would be doing something that didn't make you happy at all. Yeah. And you, felt like you were going to work every time you did a set and that would that would suck yeah, it, like it does suck and like i've always had a fucked up sense of humor too like i've always like oh i get called morbid a lot and like i just like i get laughs like even before i started doing comedy i just answer honestly and i notice like speaking from the heart and answering honestly you do get that like huh like you like people will laugh at that like just the huh that's refreshing kind of thing and i do think that happened the last mm-hmm. time i was on kill tony because like tony was asking if my mom was still alive and i said unfortunately both of my parents are deceased and he's like god damn it and i could tell he really wanted to do something nice for me but like he said it and i'm like i get it but like i said it's like yeah i was mad too and i was it pisses me off that my it parents was, it was so funny like it was so funny because yeah, it was absolutely an honest statement where yeah, it's like Tony, you're a, you you're mad that her parents are dead. How do you think she yeah. feels? And you 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 juxtapose that perfectly. Like I feel like it was honestly like a perfect joke because it was just honest. And like that that's why I, I connected with you so much is because your humor was obviously based in a very honest place. Like I felt like it was all so sincere, fucked up not like not all of it was really fucked up but some of it was very yeah. fucked up and but it but it was it's your life like if you can't find the humor in your life and be able to laugh about some of that stuff especially whenever you have bipolar like then you're going to be really depressed about your life all the time and that's like i don't think that's a great way to look at it so like i'm i'm glad that you're sharing that humor with other people and connecting with other people because there are other people who have lives that are fucked up like yours and they're going to say I love you for telling our story in a funny way. And that's why I like doing dark comedy, too. Because, like, one, I joke, like, there are comics who do, like, dark and edgy shit because they're just trying to shock you and get a reaction. That's, like, I want to make you laugh, like, I shock you, kind of a little bonus. But, like, some of the time. But, like, Mm -hmm. what it is is, like, it opens a dialogue. Like, I want jokes that make people laugh and make people think and make them feel less alone because like stand-up comedies like 
almost all the times I've like gotten pulled out of like dark places, like because I'd watch Comedy Central like religiously, and watch like the Comedy Central presents every time we went to Hollywood Video and that was a thing. I'd go to the stand up section. <laughs> I'd go to the stand up section and like it's like this one, this one. And like I used to watch stand up with my dad and like after he left, like I'd still watch it all the time. And like I and like I talk about it during the last Kill Tony interview, how my mom said women aren't funny, which is weird for her to say because that bitch was hysterical. But um mm. every time like I Wow. That makes me really curious because like whenever I was going to get to that part where she told you that, you know, that that was never going to be a job that worked for you, but she was funny herself. Yeah, she was funny herself. And then the other thing is like, I was supposed to be her successful child. I know. Cause she said it over and over again. And like everybody in my family was kind of like, okay, yeah. So you can be bitchy. So is weird. But uh, if anybody's going to make it out of this town, it's her. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. but like, I get told like I like when I really like something and I'm passionate about it, like I am dedicated to it. Like I have an unhealthy obsession with killer whales, Batman. I was really into martial yeah. arts for ten years. I do need to get back into that. Um, like just like I love to read and learn and I love to write, but like generally once I like something, like I stick with it. Which most of my family they'll like do it for a little bit. And then, like, stop altogether. And I do remember, like, part of it because a little weird, but I was born with my leg not in my hip socket. And uh, they had to do a surgery on me. And if it wasn't successful, they said I'd probably be in a wheelchair by the time I was 20. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but it was successful. And, like, when I'm really tired and sore, you can tell. Like, you can see I have a really bad limp. But, like, when I'm not sore and I'm, like, stretched out and stuff you generally can't tell but like i was supposed to be in a wheelchair um and like everything i wanted to do when i was a kid my mom told me no because one of my older sisters fucked it up (laughs) because my mom like because my sister wanted to play the violin and my mom was like okay runs the violin my sister quits after two weeks and says i want to play the flute so that happens then there was baton and girl scouts and karate so, like, everything I wanted to do, my mom would always be like, why? So you could quit like your sister. And, like, the one she agreed to let me do was Girl Scouts. Because I'm like, Mom, it's only $12 to apply for the registration fee. Here's the $12. Just sign here. You don't have to do mm. anything. And she's like, I don't have to give you rides. And I'm like, the Girl Scout leader lives in Smoke Rise. It's just a walk down the street. And she's like, okay. And she's like, you really want to be a Girl Scout? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, follow me. And then she opens her closet, and there's this huge green jacket just covered in Girl Scout badges. Wow. And, um, yeah, I stuck with Girl Scouts. Do you think part of the reason why she, like, was so down on you is because, for one, she wanted you to succeed and, like, wanted to find the perfect thing that you were going to succeed at. And, two, that you guys were really, really similar. Like, maybe people told her that she wasn't funny even though you said she's hilarious, but maybe people didn't like her mouth because she, you know, was saucy and always making jokes and stuff. And they're like, women aren't funny. So shut up. Yeah. That like, that's an interesting way to look at it too. Um, My dad thought she was funny too. And like, I asked my dad, it's all like, why are you mom together? If you guys are so mean to each other, he's like, I love your mother. She's beautiful. She gave me two beautiful kids and she makes me laugh and she's hardworking. Good woman. 
And I'm like, okay. So like that being said, she's insane. It's all like, yeah. Hmm. But um, yeah. So my mom was batshit crazy, and my dad was an alcoholic. Um, was she bipolar so also? I think she was undiagnosed bipolar, and I think my grandma was also undiagnosed. I was the first person in my family to get an actual mental diagnosis and go to therapy. And, mm-hmm. like, I started talking to a therapist because, like, I couldn't talk to my family. And, like, they started telling me shit. It's like, why are you going to a therapist? Why are you taking these medications? You just need God. It's all like, maybe God's punishing you for being a sinner. And it's all like, or your life doesn't have purpose because you don't have children or a man in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Like, a lot of the women in my family think your life doesn't have purpose unless you're a wife and mother. And, like, my mom was kind of like that to an extent. But she's all like, as long as you're a wife and a mother, you can do whatever you want, except for the stand-up comedy. But, like, this bitch did say, like, she's like, I think he'd be a great president. And then, but she'd also have, like, other weird dreams for me, which was all like, I think you're going to be playmate of the year. And I'm like, what? And she's like, if you lose the weight, baby, like, if you just need to lose a little bit, like, you're thick, you've got it in all the right spots, and then you can make your sister feel like shit. And, like... My mom was so mean to my fucking sister and, like, less mean to my... Like, she loved us, but, like, her and my sister, they did not get along at all. So so she wasn't the meanest to you? you like, you didn't get the brunt no, of it? No, I actually got wow. less of it, and I definitely got beat less because I was crippled. Which, in turn, I think that's why my brother was such a dick to me when we were little. And, like, me and my brother would get into actual, like, physical altercations. <laughs> Like, like he did put my head through a glass window. Um, I've slammed him through a coffee table. I've slammed his head in the fridge. Like, we just did awful shit to each other. Wow. We're good. Like, we're better now. Um, I I hope you're better now, because that's like jail time. Right. Um, So the thing was, for some reason, my dad was the hardest on my brother. And, like, my brother is the one who got the shit beaten out of him. Like, he was Hmm. mama's little boy, but, like, my dad was, he could be really sadistic towards my brother, and, like, he could be the same towards my sister, but, like, I was the baby, and, like, once I started to, like, be able to walk and stuff, and I started running my mouth, like, like, I'd get the same, but, like, my dad didn't beat me up as much as, like, my mom did, and I think that was, like, when she was having manic episodes, because, like, also mania, like, it can be happy, but it can also be angry. Just really? like psychotically angry for no reason. But like, and my mom would go through these phases where she'd be like depressed and like, and we like, my mom said that she said we were the apple of her eye, but she'd conveniently forget that fact as soon as a guy made eye contact with her that she liked. Hmm. Because, like, we had a lot of, like, stepdads and stuff, too. Jim was cool. The last one was a piece of shit. I'm glad he's dead. Um, and wow. me and my mom stopped talking for a little while because of her last husband, because she didn't believe me when I told him that he was, like, masturbating on my door when she was at work. And he was, like, doing other shit. And she's like, Sally, are you really that miserable? You don't want me to be happy? She's like, you're just like your father. You're just like your grandma. And I'm like, wow. okay. Like it my family was all over the place. 
So whenever you have somebody who's that close to you, like, I mean, your mom is like, you know, she's literally the, the origin of your being tell you something like you're just like your father. Like you're so miserable. You don't want to be happy. What is it like? Like how did you handle those types of like, uh, judgments being laid on you? Did you, did you take those on or did you just say my mom's crazy? Like I can't listen to her. Well, at first, honestly, like, I know this is stupid and this is like, I can be a very naive person, but like, I also try and examine when people are telling me shit, like somebody saying, it's like, Hey, you did this and made everybody uncomfortable. And I, like, okay, let me examine it. And like, like, I'll ask other people too. It's all like, Hey, did I make you guys uncomfortable? Was this out of line? And, like, even if I don't like the answer and the answer is, like, yes, I'm like, fuck. But the fact my mom was saying that shit to me, like, I just thought she was right. And I'm like, damn, maybe I am an asshole. Maybe I am selfish. Mm. And, like, I just felt bad. It's all like, okay, she sacrificed so much. But then I started, like, when she, like, started saying, I was like, my dad and my grandma, like, other things kind of, like, things started clicking more and more, especially with the last husband, Brian, when I feel like, it's like, you know what? It's not okay for her to disappear for two weeks at a time to go to Laughlin to fuck some dude. It's like, that's not okay. It's like, it's not okay to beat the crap out of somebody because you thought they rolled their eyes at you and you didn't. Um, And then, like, her whole, like, suicide. Like, I'd never tell her not to be sad, but i try and cheer her up. And I think that's part of the reason I, like, loved comedy, too, and really wanted to do it when I was a kid. Because, like, uh, like, um, so I got a whole bunch of the kid joke books and just like the most annoying kid jokes you'll ever hear. Like, what do you call a sleepwalking nun? A Roman Catholic. But like, yeah, but I was driving I like my family. Kid. I like that one too. But, um, I'll, I would tell these jokes to my family and they're like, okay, this needs to stop. So my dad buys me this giant book called the mammoth book of comedy. And it's full of all the raunchiest fucking street jokes you'll ever read. Like, jokes about Catholics, jokes about sex, making fun of the Jews, jokes about, like, jokes about everything and anything. Mm. And, like, it's alphabetized, alphabetized, too. And, like, it'll have quotes from, like, comics, I think, like, I can't remember. Mm, was Patrice O'Neill in there? Like, I know they have a lot of old school comics, like, I think it came out before Patrice was, like, big, big. Um... But, like, they'd have uh, Roseanne Barr quotes in there, Ronnie Dangerfield quotes, Henny Youngman, Don Rickles. Um, so there'd be, like, quotes from them. There'd just be short jokes. There's, like, mistranslations, funny bumper stickers throughout the world, funny epitaphs. But I started memorizing all those jokes, and my dad would have me sit at his poker games and tell these jokes to him and his friends. So, like, I, uh, I just liked making people laugh and, like, not being sad. And I do that all the time. But, like, when I lost my shit at the family reunion, my mom came up to me and was like, baby bear, it's all like, don't be sad. Because if you're sad, I'll be sad. And I don't want to be sad. And, like, when she said that, like, a flip switched. And I'm all like, wait, you don't want me to be sad because you'll be sad? I'm like, you are the most miserable fucking person I have met in my entire life. It's like, you threaten to kill yourself on a daily basis. And, like, I went off, and I'm like, but never, not once did I ever tell you not how to feel. 
and like i started screaming at everybody in my family I'm like can i have emotions for once can i be sad can i be miserable and like because for the longest time i was just pretending to be happy so everybody else would be happy like because right. my grandpa was all like lead by example it's like okay if i'm happy and i try my hardest everybody else will do the same that is not how that shit went down at all and yeah no so and i just started like thinking about my family more and more and like how we were and like I started taking like pages from my grandma's book. It's like, you know what? I'm going to be honest with this bitch. So I would be a bitch back. But like when I said it was funny. So so I know it's probably hard to separate this because you are bipolar and you, I mean, that's something that you'd have to deal with all the time. But as you started to like embrace that, like honesty, did you find that outside of just being a depressed person, did you find that your life was easier to manage? It did help a lot. Um, it did feel like a like huge weight had been lifted off me. Like I didn't realize how much I was holding on to and like how much I was trying to keep it together. And like whenever I was sad, like because like after I think it was like when my dad died, I kind of stopped crying for a couple of years. Like I would on occasion, but like, I'm just all like, no, it's like, I'm not going to cry for this man. And it's like, I'm not going to do this. And I just stopped. I'm like, I'm not crying for anybody else. I'm not. And my mom cried all the time. And like, in my mind, I thought she was weak because of it, but um, she wasn't mm-hmm. weak. Like at the time, I didn't know that this was during my bitchy teenage phase. But, like, it's, like, I don't want to be, like, these fucking crybabies. I don't want to be, like, these miserable people. It's all, like, if anything, I'll be angry. I'll be angry. I'll be happy. But I'm not going to let these people see me sad or make me sad. And my family is really good at that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, trying to think. Like, when I started cutting myself, I had one sister start calling me Slicey as my nickname. But, like, my family just has, like, yeah. It's probably brilliant for her. It still can't draw out of her eyebrows on straight, though. But, like, her nickname since she was a kid, my mom called her Lurch. Because she looked like Lurch from Adam's family. Wow. That's rough. Yeah. And she'd call my brother a whole bunch of mean names. Like, she used to call him Bullwinkle and Jethro because he was ditzy. And she'd tell him he was dumb all the time. And, like, Damn. she'd tell my brother and sister they were dumb. And she's like, you're smart. You have potential. And, like, I remember so is, it, is this where you do a lot of, like, roast battles? I haven't seen them yet. I'm going to look them up after this. But you do a lot of roast <laughs> battles. Is this where you sharpen your tongue is, for one, listening to your mom roast her kids all the time? And then yeah. I'm assuming at some point you started fighting back. Yeah, there was that. Like, my sisters would pick on me, but they'd, like, say bitchy stuff. But, like. I I just think of something or I'd point out like when they did it, like my sister, Catherine, her biggest thing was it's like, I've lost so much weight and she was bigger than me at the time. Now I'm a little bit bigger than her, but she's like, Mm. I've lost so much weight. I'm going to give you these clothes since you're still fat. And like one day she said that and I'm like, okay, you keep losing all this weight, but you get fatter every day. And like, I forget what else I said. It's like, okay, but the clothes that don't fit you are supposed to fit me. And everybody started laughing and like her daughter was like a little spoiled brat sometimes and she was making fun of my first bow i bought because i got into archery 
And it was like a shitty little 15 pound bow you get from uh, Big Five or Sporting Goods. Mm-hmm. And I had it, and she's making fun of it. And she's like, look at this poor ghetto ass fucking bow. You couldn't get anything better. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. We all can't have dinks that we got from our parents or jobs that we got from our parents and wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like, I said something. But, like, it'd be me and my brother insulting each other a lot. And, like, just saying the meanest shit. And, like, I do remember one time he was being an asshole and I grabbed my box of tampons and threw it at him. And I'm all like, plug your shit up. You're bleeding all over the floor. Oh, my God. And I did that in front of him, his friends, and my family. And, like, he just looked at me wow. as, like, because the tampon box exploded on impact. And he just, like, caught all these random things in his arm. <laughs> or not condoms, uh, tampons. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he just looks at me for oh a sec, gosh. and he starts laughing. He's like, fuck, that was good. But, um, That's, that is good. I want to I wanna go back to Kill Tony a little bit real quick. So, okay. if I'm correct, you, were, you got on stage, you did your minute, and you hadn't realized who Roseanne was, right? Like, you didn't, yeah, like, so I guess going up, you didn't know who the guests were? One, I'm really bad at recognizing people, and two, when, like, my plan of attack, so I don't freak out before I do my minute, is to not actually, like, I do my best to, like, I'll give a quick glance, but I'll do my best not to look to see who's on the panel until after I do my minute. Because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm going to be when sitting there, When you saw like, that it was her... It was, uh, it's weird. But, when you saw that it was her, like... What what is what is your relationship to Roseanne like? You know your history with following her. Is she like one of your idols? Like she is one of my like? comedy idols. Oh, so my mom did think Roseanne was funny. She said she didn't like her stand up, but she loved the Ro- like she loved Roseanne the show, and like we'd watch it together mm-hmm. all the time. Like my mom loved sitcoms and she did love to laugh, but she wasn't a huge stand up person. Like she liked all the blue collar comedy guys. And, um, she hated Dave Chappelle. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, she loved Richard Pryor. Bellic. How do you love Richard Pryor and hate Dave Chappelle? I don't know. It doesn't even make any sense. She was a weird lady. So you saw her there and like, it looked like your breath was completely taken away. Like, I like that. That was like the the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like, I'm kind of with your mom. I'm like, I liked the show a lot, but I was really young when her stand-up was out. So it's not like, you know, I, I had a whole lot of uh, experience with her stand-up as an adult. Yeah. Uh, she might still be, I mean, I guess she is still doing stand-up because she went on to invite you to open her tour. Yeah. What happened? Because you were supposed to be there, like, on your way there right now. Like, what like, what happened with that? Um. So I did the first show with her. But, like, I guess her agent who set up the dates had the dates all spread apart. So it's, like, a week between each of the shows, except for the last two. But, like, it does cost a lot of money to fly somebody to and from Austin and then put them in a hotel. And, like, it, like, time management-wise and also, like, no disrespect to Roseanne, but she's old now. (laughs) And she gets tired. And, like, she's doing an hour and, like, I think the night I did get it open for her, she did like an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes. 
And mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was really tired afterwards and wanted to go home and go to sleep. And um, but yeah, so, no, I. So was she not? She she couldn't put you up just to stay there like she was. Um, or does no, she live like in Florida? From, she doesn't live in Florida. Um, but like her tickets plus my tickets, and her son is her assistant. So like she's flying him out too. Um, but like all the like having to set everything up, and like so also like when somebody else buys your like plane ticket and hotel rooms, like it is kind of weird. And you do normally need to have a card for incidentals. But like there's a couple of hiccups. Um, but yeah, now originally I thought I was just gonna miss the 14th show and I was gonna be back the 20th and the 21st. But when I messaged to ask about it, it's all like. No, the dates are too spread part apart. Like, I'm not mad by any means. It's like sometimes no. things don't click and it's like it's fine. But um yeah. Well, like, like I'm a not trying to stir shit up, but like, I'm, I'm curious. How much time have you actually spent talking to Roseanne face to face since Kill Tony? Um, I talked to her briefly at Skankfest for like five minutes, but like I was kind of in the days talking to her like face to face. Uh, I think we talked outside for about an hour, two hours before and after the show. And we did have some good conversations. The, and she said I was a Florida? shaman. Yeah. And oh, yeah. she Which did one? say she wants to do some writing sessions with me. So at some point when she has a spare time, me and her are supposed to sit down and do joke writing. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah I just like, I, I'm curious because the way it seemed and, you know, I understand that there are the people who that there's a the talent who performs, who is like, you know, the, the name who makes all the money, but there's the people who run the show. And like, yeah. I understand that those generally are not the same people, but at the same time, whenever somebody puts something out, like I'm going to take care of you so you can <laughs> open for me. Like mm-hmm. I kind of thought that the way that she delivered it was she was going to take care of you. So you could, you'd be able to open for her the entire stretch. It, yeah. I'm just curious as to whether or not you've talked to her since, like the scheduling issues have come up and you've like, you know, asked like, Hey, did you mean for this to happen? Or like, are you, is, is this going to like, is this going down the way that you thought it would? Or do you want to try to like, help me be able to do the whole thing? I know that that would be a, a lot well, we to ask to, a super famous person. It is. And like, I don't like, like I have a thing about like bothering people. Um, but yeah, we did talk, like, I know, like, I thought I was just not doing the Melbourne show, and I thought I clarified with her, but to be fair, we had all just smoked some weed, so people forget, but, like, I've mostly been, uh, I'm actually getting a message right now. From her? From, no, from the son, because that's who I've been talking to, but she expected, I guess she's wanted me there right now. See, that's, I'm so curious. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, what does the message say? Uh, I'm not sure. Like, I will say I'm not comfortable, like, saying, because I don't want him to put the no, like, put his business not, out there. Not exactly, but, like, are but you like, going to go out there this weekend now, or? Um, I don't, like, I guess it's possible for me to get a flight out there and be there for tomorrow's show. But, um, yeah, I don't know. 
but I guess like I got the message and I guess she was expecting me to be there today. So like the reason why I wanted to ask all that is because I too am one of those people who doesn't want to bother people. Like I'm, you know, I, I never want to bother anybody. I never want to feel like I'm putting anybody out, but I try to, whenever somebody makes it clear that they want to do this thing with me, I, I've tried to make it a, like a part of my culture to give people a chance to meet me where I'm at. So it's like, Hey, you said you wanted to do this thing. This is what's going on with me. If you still want to do that thing, this is what needs to happen because I also want to do that thing, but there's some, there's some things coming up, you know, whatever it is. And I was just like it being so like present and like current. I wanted like, I was just curious if that's something that you had done. And now that we're seeing that he's reaching out saying like, shit, I was wrong. Like I probably should have, you know, asked my mom, if I, yeah, well, <laughs> if I'm supposed to get you out of here. That's her. I asked the week before and he said, cause the, like he gave his reasons and stuff. And I'm like, okay, that all makes perfect sense to me. That's fine. And um, yeah. So I left it as, and like, I was already depressed before we had that conversation. Mm. Yeah. Cause I think I messaged him on Thursday and I started getting sad on Wednesday. But, um, oh, and then I do feel bad. Cause a lot of people like, a lot of my friends like message me it's like Celia did you really pull out of the Roseanne shows I'm like no I didn't pull out I was told I wasn't needed or not right. not that I wasn't needed but it's all like they said it wasn't like doable and they're like okay we thought you dropped out because you were sad and I'm like no I would have like I'm not gonna like I will go on stage crying through my set like I'll I'll go up there with a 40 like just tears streaming down my face <laughs> with a cigarette saying I don't want to live yeah, no. Um, I wouldn't do that. But uh, yeah, no. No, but um, like, like I appreciate that mentality of not letting your not letting your sad ruin your future. Like that's because this, you know, all of this is a huge opportunity. And if you would have gotten depressed before and let that depression make that decision for you, that would have been like whenever you came out of that, that would have been like possibly just wrecked you. Like put no, you back. Definitely in the would have like. <laughs> I'm mad at myself that I was depressed this week, though I didn't get a good bit out of it. <laughs> Cause like, so you know the Will and Jada shit going on right now. Yes, I like. Oh my god, yeah, I do. Yeah. All right. So I don't know the woman, but based off of everything I've seen, I'm gonna assume she's just a fucking rancid cunt. <laughs> Sorry, not. That's not nice. But like, she does have like queen bitch vibes. Um, but like I posted on Facebook, it's all like, here's my theory. Tupac faked his death to get away from Jada. And I was like, I was just in a bitchy mood when I typed that. And I'm like, backup theory. He walked right into his death to get away from Jada. So like I went up on stage and I'm all like, I, so I did say that and I got a lot of laughs on Facebook, but I worked it into a bit where like I start off. It's all like, I have no reason to be depressed right now. I have like my life's going well and there's people who have it worse than me. I could be married to Jada Pinkett Smith right now. And like that got a huge like it got a three second applause break. And then All I right. say what I said on Facebook and like that's been actually going really well. Like I, I feel bad because she's probably actually a really nice lady. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She's she's one of the people who I think gives authenticity a bad name because she's one of the people who's like, this is just who I am. And it's like, you know, everybody else needs to bend their, bend their lives to like, to fit my will. 
And I yeah. think that is that is broken. Will Smith is a man, and that's super depressing because he's a very talented person who seems like he's he's not a bad guy. But like, I think that there's a lot to be said for well, knowing who you are and being willing to grow around and like bring other people into your life. And it seems like she's not willing to do that. She's just going to grow over people and really just like, she's not really growing. She's just rolling them over. Okay. Yeah. Like that's like, that's the vibes I get. Like I've seen a couple of clips of the red table talk and like, I don't know. There's just something about her. I don't freaking like, and like, she'll talk about like all this stuff. Um, oh, but like, I watched the slap video multiple times. And like Will was laughing at that joke, like you see he him was. clearly laughing at the joke, and then she had that face, and he's like, "She was oh in my. total control of him." Like from from that video, to me, it seems super clear that she had total control over everything in that relationship because he was having a good ass time. He was enjoying yeah. himself. He thought it was funny. He understands comedy, and then he was living for someone else didn't know how to approach the situation but he had to overcorrect because she saw him laughing and now wanted she wanted her pound of flesh and he didn't know what to do so he did something that definitely guaranteed that pound of flesh i guess that's true and that's the other thing and like i was actually like out of all the people like i would even go so far as to say i was a little hurt when i saw that he slapped chris rock because I know Will Smith has tried stand-up comedy. He knows what it's fucking like to go up there and tell jokes and put yourself mm-hmm. out there. It's like, it's a different medium from acting. Because, like, stand-up comedy, you're going up with, uh... Yeah, you're going up there and you're yourself. Like, you don't get a play well, character. And, and like, I'll... some people do characters and stuff, but... I'll, I'll say that it's even one step further for the being like, I love stand up comedy. I'm a huge fan. I do not do it. Like, I know that I am not that guy. I'm not the one. But, like, the Academy Awards and, like, really hosting something that high, high profile takes stand up comedy to the next level of, of being under the microscope. And that you have to, like, you have to be PC enough to go on all the channels. You have to be able to, like, you know, play to so many different demographics. There's so much pressure in that. And then to add that situation to it, to me, was one of the Chris Rock is one of the most impressive human beings in the entire world because he handled that with such grace. I cannot imagine being able to continue that show. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, nope, that was that was too much. Like, I'm done. Like, that, yeah, that like happened. Bring in the, somebody else. Bring, yeah, it's like send somebody else up there. Backup host. Just hand the mic. It's like you're in charge now, bitch. Walk off. Yeah, exactly. This is yours. Like he just he ruined this moment for me. He ruined it for you. It's over. I mean, really, Jada ruined it through him by proxy. And I just yeah. yeah, you have to be so vulnerable to do good stand up. And Chris Rock does a great job of that. And you know, you have to be willing to like yeah. open yourself up to to throw punches. Like you know, just like in a fight, if you're throwing punches, you're open to being attacked back. And yeah. yeah, to for that to happen, like in that vulnerable state. Oh my god. Anyways, no, so like it is. Yeah, I want to get. I want to get back to Tony a little bit. You have those okay. tour dates booked with Tony in November. 
how excited are you to like because he like he left no room for for interpretation he is flying you out he is putting you up in a hotel you are going to be taken care of yeah. and he's paying you so you are going to be taken care of that that is happening how excited are you for that to happen I'm really excited, especially because Celebrity Theater is a huge venue. Um, like Tom Segura did his special there, his last one there, I believe. Um, so many great comics have performed there. So many great musicians have performed there. But I think it sets like 2,500 people. Wow. And like I am, like I'm excited, but I am a little scared shitless because for the first time Two of my families are gonna family members are gonna be in the audience to watch. Well, just four just technically. Two? Oh, four, my brother four. and his wife are coming. Well, my brother and his wife are coming, and then my sister and her oldest son Sean are coming. The other siblings had very good reasons, like, oh, I have to go grocery shopping that day. It's like you have it pre-planned to go and buy groceries November eighteenth at seven o'clock. At another family member, it's all like I'm not wasting a tank of gas to go see you tell talk about your vagina and i'm like first of all i only talk about my vagina like 30 percent of the time the rest <laughs> is about cutting myself oh my god that's that's so yeah uh like it's funny because when i do roast battles like i will check with a person if i don't know them is like is there anything off limits i can't roast you about and i do that like partially it's to be nice but the other part is I don't want to deal with like the whole me too. It's like she crossed a line. Mm-hmm. It's all it's like, okay. But um shit, I forgot where I was going on that. Oh. But um yeah, but I always tell everybody it's like there is nothing you can say to me that my own family hasn't said to me or I've said to myself. Yeah. Like it'd be like it takes a lot to actually hurt me. I mean, like, I'm to, used to being hurt. Um, to a degree, it, I, I could see how it would make you kind of bulletproof in roast battles, but also that's that's fucked up. Like that sucks that your family has been so unsupportive of your journey. It does, and like I did cry when my brother said he was gonna go, and I'm like, "You're really gonna come?" And he's like, "Yeah, why wouldn't I?" And I'm like, "Well, just based off of the last six years of me asking you to come." Like, to be fair, my brother did try and go watch me do stand-up one time, but he just had a newborn baby, and he did the Mexican thing. He showed up with a newborn baby to the open mic I was at. Okay, that's fair. And I think the baby started crying, like, like, I was, like, I was confused because my brother was there. And then the baby started crying, so he had to leave, like, three minutes into my set. Oh. So, like, he did go see me do comedy once. And, like, my sister, like, she is, like, high-functioning autistic, which she just found out. She was autistic, like, three years ago. And um, she did drive me to a show in Prescott from Flagstaff and back. But she didn't want to go in because, like, meeting new people sometimes gives her anxiety and stuff. Yeah. But she does know, like, what a big deal this is. And, like, I was actually really excited because this year both of them remembered my birthday. Oh. Um, uh, I know. It sounds sad. No, I... But, like, they suck at remembering everybody's birthdays. Um, like, they're they're not bad people. They're, like, they're just busy. And, like, we were raised, like, it was just, like, years of abuse. And, like, that's what we learned. That's what we were taught. We, like, 
it does break my heart a little bit because I wonder what my family would have and could have been if we were more supportive and an understanding of each other instead of like attacking each other and kicking each other when we're down. Yeah. And like, I've done it too. And I'm not proud of that. Well, but, um, we, we were, we're like, direct byproducts of our parents. Like if our parents are unsupportive and, you know, verbally beat the crap out of us, it's going to take a lot of work. Like, I'm not going to say that we're going to automatically be that, but you're going to have to actively work to not be what they were. Like, that's just, that's just how it works because you're, you know, they talk about nature versus nurture. Whenever it's your parents treating you a certain way, if it's nature or nurture, you're going to get it because it's, they, they are your genes and they are your environment. So whatever they have, you're going to get it. And it's going to be on you to try to like get better and be something different for the next generation. But it's not surprising that they are emulating a lot of the same things, but I'm for one, it does make it a little more understandable that your sister's autistic. Uh, it's often runs in the family. So there's a possibility that maybe your mother was autistic and that would give some credence to like the, the unabashed like honesty and like saying things that, that seems so mean to somebody who's supposed to love you. Um, but if you are not yeah. understanding of those. And that's a good way to like, once like my sister said she was autistic, she's like, I guess I'm autistic. And I looked at her and like everything clicked because her son, Sean is autistic. And like, he just does what pops into his mind. Like, mm -hmm. and he's not trying to be a dick no. though. Sometimes he is a little asshole, but um, no, as soon as she said, she's like, so I guess I'm autistic. I'm like holy fucking shit that explains everything this whole time i thought you were yeah. a bitch and then me and her just looked at each other and started laughing her asses off and she's like yeah i guess like mom just beat it out of me whenever i was having like crazy episodes but like the more i watched my sister and was around her like just thinking about the way she acted all the time and i'm like yeah that bitch is autistic she's not an asshole she doesn't think she's better than anyone which my mother loved to like tell and yell mm. at her all day it's all like you're. It's a good thing your sister's beautiful because she doesn't have a fucking personality. Wow. It's like wow. she's miserable. She about her own daughter, and like that was the other thing when I started getting better at like roasting, like especially in my family. So like they just say it's like you're fat and you're crippled, and I'm like I know. But like when like I felt she was going too hard after my one of my brothers or sisters, I'd like I'd step in, and like I'd start being mean back or if I thought my sister's like because I don't know how to like almost like just like a pack of wolves or coyotes like circle circling mm -hmm. you like we one day it'd be like my sister Lisa who was getting like bullied and stuff but like everybody would start going after one person at a time and it's just like pack and like you can see like and I know they could see it too that they legitimately hurt somebody and they'd still keep going. It's all like, yeah, well, that's why this and this mm -hmm. and this. And then, like, I'll get mad. Like, I remember one time I cussed out my mom because she kept calling my brother dumb. And I'm like, quit calling him Jethro. And she's like, but, or, like, she'd call him Bullwinkle, too. And she's like, I'm Bullwinkle. She's like, you're just like that dumb moose. And, like, after that argument, she just started calling him moose. And, like, she changed the story. It's like, I started calling, he used to be a bear, but he got so big, now he's a moose. I'm like, no, you started calling him moose because I got mad at you for calling him Bullwinkle. And, like, because my brother isn't dumb. 
and my sister isn't dumb, and she's not a bitch. The rest of my siblings kind of on the fence about. Um, so, so we've had the, this is like neurodiversity is something that like I'm a big advocate of because like I'm ADHD, so it's something that has largely shaped my life. So, I'm curious as you've kind of learned about the autistic situation with your sister, how has that changed your relationship? Um, it's made me like, it made me more understanding of her. And like, also like I started, like, I always loved my sister. Like I did, like I looked up to her. She's my hero. Granted she was super bitchy most of her life, but like I'd be a bitch too. If my mom talked to me the way she talked, my mom talked to her. In the way other people talk to her. And my sister is awkward. She has a really hard time making friends. And um, I feel bad because one time she asked me, she's like, what's it like having friends? And I'm like, it's actually pretty nice. And she's like, I bet it is. And like, she does have friends and stuff, but it's hard for her to like make them and keep them. And like, she she's a great fucking mother. I will say that about my sister. She is probably one of the best mothers I know. Granted, like, with Sean the first time she did have postpartum depression. So it was a little rocky the first year, but like, I am very proud of my sister. Man, your family has been through some shit. And I'm very proud of my brother. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Like, but I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, whenever I talk about authenticity, like one of the big things that comes up for me is self-awareness. And like, I I've talked to a few different people now on my show who, have like late stage diagnosis where they're, you know, they've been into their thirties before they found out that they were autistic or ADHD or, you know, you know, different neurodiversistic things. And once they've figured it out, so many different things in their life have, have like kind of started to make sense for me. Like I learned that I was ADHD, like into my, like at the beginning of my college career, but I didn't, it was so long ago that the research wasn't there to understand how that affected me in social situations how it affected my impulse control. It was all just like, oh, so you talk too much and you're late to places. Like that's that's all I knew it was like this medicine's going to help me not talk so much and not be late all the time. And it did. So I thought I was cured, but yeah. I was still awkward as as fuck in, you know, lots of different situations whenever I didn't understand what the social cues were like were. I just missed out on stuff. I talked too much, like I overshared. I was trying to be other things. Yeah. And so like I I I love people who are still trying to find out more about themselves. I know a lot of the times it's, you know, my, my kid is, is not what I expected them to be. Like, let's get them tested. Oh, they, they're this. So let me get tested for this. But I encourage other people who have struggled with any kind of social, you know, social activity to just like get yourself tested and, you know, and make sure that you are, not one of us because if you're having trouble making friends all the time you might be one of us and you're just you're just trying to hang out with the wrong people because we love hanging out with us like if you get yourself a, a set of neurodiversity yeah. friends all of a sudden everything makes sense and so yeah anyways <laughs> that is true um i was gonna say something but <laughs> cool was i gonna say I forget, but um, another thing I will say, like, I was the first person in my family to go to therapy and start seeing somebody, and, like, I was given so much shit for it, but then everybody in my family started going to therapy. Good. Like, not um, not everybody, like, my brother, but, like, my mom started going, my sister started going, my sisters started going, 
And they're all like, oh, yeah, this mental illness was made up and all this stuff. But, like, whenever I tell people, it's like, yeah, I was the first person in my family to get help. I was the first person to do this. And I'm like, I was the first person to start cutting bitches off. And everybody's like, that's good. You're breaking the cycle. And everybody keeps saying, break the cycle, break the cycle. But I happened to be watching Game of Thrones at the time. And, like, Daenerys Targaryen kept saying how she was going to break the wheel. We'll break the wheel. And, like, I just kept thinking about it. And everybody was all like, oh, my God, we're so proud of you. You're breaking the cycle. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, well, Daenerys did that, too. And that shit fucking killed her. It drove her crazy. And it fucking killed her. So. uh, It's a, like, she went (laughs) bat. So, I. So, like, I was worried about that. I'm like, great. Yeah, I I had a. I had a a woman on my show. Her name is uh, Marilyn Pennyfeather. And she she was talking about like breaking generational cycles. Like she feels like it is her, like she has taken on the mantle to break the general, the the generational cycle of abuse in her family. And she, she, before it is done, she believes it will break her like that. I was like, what do you mean? Like you, you know, like, she's like, yeah, I know that this is going to be something that is going to basically destroy me. And I'm like, maybe, maybe you, yeah. you shouldn't <laughs> like, maybe I don't, I don't believe that it's necessarily true that you have to be made an example of to break the cycle. Like for one you talked about it, like, you know, cutting out toxic people from your life or, or at least limiting access to the ability to be able to, to toxify your life. And then also like just being an example and communicating with people in a better way, I think is enough. Like, I don't think you have to like, die on the cross to to break a generational like you know like, i don't know what do you think i hope that's not the case um no uh, like and i'm catholic so like martyrs it's all like yeah i'm into it <laughs> just kidding now um so like i did feel like because for the longest time i was trying to be like the glue that held my family together and then like when i started cutting them off like i remember they got mad at me specifically but, like, I did have to step away from my family for, like, a good four years. Because I did, like, it's like trying to hold, so it's like getting ripped apart by horses. Mm. Like, if somebody tied a rope to each getting end quartered. of you. And they just set the horse, yeah, getting quartered. But, like, it was starting to feel like that because I'm getting pulled in one direction. And then, like, I always thought my mom, like. I did have questions and my mom did drive me nuts, but like, she also like pitted me and my brother against Mm. our dad, which I get because he was doing some piece of shit stuff at the time, but she made it sound like it was all him. But like, then I just started questioning more and more. And then when it dawned on me, it's like, Oh shit, my mom loves strange men more than her own children. And that like makes you feel a certain kind of way. Cause I told my mom, it's all like, I'm moving and I don't want Brian to come like you can stay with me but i don't want that man in my house and my mom was all like well that's your decision baby i understand and i'm like oh okay so the homeless guy you picked up on the bus you're uh picking him over your own kids and like that made me feel like an extra like special kind of low and like that like also started like tearing apart and i'm like you know what all my family's mean to me and i'm like well they're mean to each other but it's all like i'm actually out here trying like i'm trying to get us along get us to get along i'm trying to be there for people i'm trying 
and like I like I'd I was the one who remembered everybody's birthdays and I'd remind everybody like a week and it's like David's birthday's next week don't forget David's birthday's tomorrow don't forget it's David's birthday just send him happy birthday that's all you have to fucking do but I'd like nag everybody and it's all like hey make them feel special or I'd like buy presents with my money and then write from mom on them or I'd have my mom sign them it's like here and she's like, oh, thanks for reminding me. And then she's all like, you didn't spend too much money on this one, did you? And I'm like, it's Sarah, and she's going to love it. She's like, yeah, but does she really deserve a birthday gift? It's like, it's her fucking wow. birthday mom handed Ooh. to her. And like, dude, the shit with her and my sister was insane. Ooh. But like, I remember I got my GED and my mom threatened me. She's like, you're going to walk across that stage and get that diploma? Or I'm going to drag your ass up there in a wheelchair. Okay. It's like, the choice Damn. is yours. And, like, my mom said she wasn't going to go to my sister's wedding. And, like, I went up to my mom and I'm like, Mom, I love you. And she's like, I love you too, baby bear. I'm like, good. Now that we got that out of the way, you're going to go to your daughter's wedding. You're going to have a good time. You're going to be fucking happy for her. You're going to smile in all the photos. And you have two choices. You can walk into that wedding or I can push you in, in a fucking wheelchair. And my mom just, like, looked at me and her eyes got all big. She's like... You can't threaten me. I'm your mother. And I'm like, Mom, I'm not threatening you. I'm promising you right now, if you ruin your daughter's special day, I'm going to kick your ass. And, like, that's when I was, like, in my peak martial arts, like, form. Like, I was still fat as hell, but I, I had really good kicks. <laughs> hey, like, something uh, I've yeah, learned, no, like, I'm, I, I'm not a small person. Oh, I'm not a small person. I'm, I'm 350 pounds. Like, I am not mobile. But I have seen people much bigger than me be able to do a lot of great stuff. Like, uh, like the the amount of emphasis we put on size and ability in America is ridiculous. Like, it is like the two things are not yeah. nearly as related as we make them in in like our society. And I and I really hate it. I am unfortunately one of those people who makes fat people look fat because like I can't do like I you know I breathe super deeply whenever i'm trying to tie my shoes and like i cannot bend over without my back cracking 17 times i'm out of shape like i'm i'm totally accepting of that i talk about it on the podcast it's something that i'm i'm very aware of my body image is terrible my actual shape is even worse so but i'm i don't want you to feel like you have to qualify your martial arts as if i don't believe that you were an ass kicking son of a bitch like i believe it like if you spend any time getting trained in martial arts it's it's something that you you just get better at it doesn't matter what size you are yeah thank god for muscle memory i think that's the only thing that'll save me in a fight now i'm <laughs> uh, like big and like so many fights before doing martial arts and i felt like it was like my first week of class and like I kept getting like I'd like I'd move in and I'd punch and there it's like you're actually doing really good like most people like well most girls like flinch away from it and it's all like but you're like you're going into the hits and absorbing them and stuff you're moving out of the way and I'm like thanks I had an abusive childhood so you kind of get used to moving around <laughs> and like the instructor looked at me for a second he's like I don't know how to respond to that and I'm like sorry that was probably a too much information and he's like little bit but it's fine it does explain a lot but um yeah wow. i hope your, i'm okay uh, in the fight your story is it is a tumultuous one 
But like I like what I want to get into real quick is did, has it always come honesty or you know we we talked about it some, but you putting it all out there on on the Kill Tony show was the reason why everybody like stepped up and was like, oh, we'll take care of you. Like you talked about like you know being steps away from not having a place to live. You talked about all that stuff in front of hundreds of people. I don't know if you thought about it at the time, but millions of people watch it on the podcast. Was it hard for you to like speak about like, those really personal things? That part's actually really not that hard for me. Cause like I said, like I like to make people think and I like to open up a dialogue and like, I started off as like a blue comic, like just talking about my sex life. I started about talking about my home life and people like, we like dark comedy. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but thank you. And then, um, but yeah, no, like I, my mom used to say, well, it was like her little open book. Cause like, also, I guess I have like super expressive eyes. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm like scared or nervous, like my eyes get really big. And, like, my mom didn't mean as an insult because she legitimately loves cows, the animal. Mm. But she's like, you have such big, beautiful brown cow eyes. Like, they're beautiful with the long lashes. And, like, most people would think that is an insult. But, like, if you ever looked into cow's eyes, they're fucking lovely. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, unless they're, like, scared. That shit looks scary. But, um, yeah, cow Unlike eyes are definitely than horse eyes. Unlike a goat's, which are super, super fucking creepy. Have you looked at a goat's eyes? They are creepy. They're square. Or not square. I've looked at a goat on acid. Yeah. Did you make the dough on acid? Um, yeah. I Huh? Did were you the reason why I said I looked at a goat on acid? Oh, you were on acid, not the dough. Yeah. No. (laughs) But I did get a goat drunk one time just to see what would happen. Also, they can't handle light beer. You gotta get them a dark ale. Okay. Otherwise, it hurts their tummy. I thought they thought their tummies could handle everything. But um, yeah, I can handle a lot of things. I can definitely handle a notebook that it eats out of your backpack while you're visiting the Phoenix Petting Zoo. My mom straight up punched a cow at the Petting Zoo. <laughs> we were almost asked to leave. <laughs> like the cow was like sitting there, like rubbing up against my dad and stuff. And my mom went to pet the cow, and the cow turned around and bit her elbow. And my mom didn't like that and turned around and just fucking cro- cross right to the cow's face. And the cow like took a step back. That's how hard my mom. Oh hit my the god! Cow. And the cow was just like, "What the fuck?" And then my dad he just started laughing. And then like, yeah, security guards came. It's all like you cannot assault a livestock man. And she's like, "That bitch started it." And like, my dad talked talked about the situation. Then we went to go look in the lines. Oh my gosh! But it does like my mom again is batshit crazy. And she could fight too, though. Like, she was big like me and shorter. But she, like, worked in a bakery for, like, 10, 15 years. So, like, she had all this muscle underneath her flab. But that woman, like, I've seen her knock a man's teeth out. And, like, it was funny because they found one of the teeth after she knocked him out. But the next day she's doing dishes and they couldn't figure out where the other tooth was. But she felt feeling a lump on the back of her hand. While she was doing dishes and like she worked like she kept like moving it and then she saw something white. The dude's tooth got lodged in her hand. Oh my god. So my mom like that is disgusting and impressive. Yeah, and she 
it is but like she pulls it out and like right next to the sink is where she kept the jar with her baby teeth and like she just like took the tooth out washed it off and threw it with our baby teeth and added it to her collection wow and she did give me that tooth when i was 15 years old for my birthday special relationship so uh like we're gonna start bringing it to a close because we're already like uh you know i this is generally about how long these episodes go but a lot of comedians say your life have to be (laughs) good yeah a lot of comedians say your life needs to be messed up to be funny how do you feel about that i don't think that's true um i think like you can make anything funny it is easier to laugh at fucked up shit um but like jim gaffigan i'm pretty sure had a decent normal life um, have you ever heard jamie fox well, talk about it anyway i don't know a lot about him have you ever heard jamie fox talk about how he jamie he fox? keeps his house like at least something broken in his house because he doesn't want to ever lose that frustration with life he just wants to like he always wants to have like damn it this fucking door is messed up or like the dishwasher is broken or something because he he never wants to to get to where his life is doing too good that's fair and that actually makes a lot of sense to me because like i do like worry and i have been stressed out like over the roseanne and the tony thing like i'm excited for the opportunity but like a lot of good is happening to me right now and like because my life has been the way it is sometimes it's my fault sometimes it's just circumstance but i'm worried like I'm having too much good right now that something fucked up is going to happen. Well, that's, so like, I do worry about that. That's a whole and, different fear is, is so worrying like, that something's going to fucked up is going to happen because yeah. you're enjoying your life right now. I was just saying like, do you think you need to stay fucked up so <laughs> you can continue being funny? Like, it seems like you've got so much to draw from, so. from your, from your past that you, you can like live a perfectly like, incident-free life for the rest of your life and you have got plenty to draw from. Yeah, I think so. But also, I do tend to, like, I don't know, like, it's probably not healthy, but I do tend to, like, to be around broken individuals. Like, I like being around people who, like, have had a hard time or who've been through shit. Like, it's not that I don't want to hang out with people who are, like, happy and, like, never had a bad thing happen to them all mm-hmm. the time but it is like nice just kind of like being broken with another person and like being broken together but like comedy clubs are cool but like i would like love i would love to just do shows at bars too because like the people who go to the bars you're not at a bar on a tuesday because your life's going great so if i can make that one dude at a bar <laughs> Turn around and be all like, hey, that bitch made me laugh. It's like, fuck yeah. Like, I would take making one guy at a bar who's having a bad day laugh over making a room full of 500 happy people laugh. Because I think that's what really does make stand-up and comedy special. So, like, th- that makes me want to ask, is that is that another one of those things where you're a, you're actually afraid of being successful, so you just, like opt to want to wanna please like the seven people and like a, a broke down dive bar versus like doing stadiums or is that really like is that really how you feel I um one it is how I feel but two 
I feel bad for saying it, but I don't like comedy clubs. Like, any place that charges you $8 for a Bud Light can go fuck themselves. But, like, the crowds at, like, clubs seem to be a little weird, but also, like, I, like, I'd be down to do theaters. Like, theaters 100%. But also, I'm a little bitter because of the clubs in Arizona. I mean... Because I have, like, I've been told I'm not marketable, and they can't risk me walking the headliner's audience. My jokes are too smart for the room. I need to dumb them down. If I learn to work clean, they could get me work. Shit like, like that. Who told you that? I'm not going to name their names because uh, I'm not going to. So was this another comedian who was like, man, I could sell you if you would just be stupid like me. Some of them were comics. Some of them were comics and uh, some of them were just bookers for comedy clubs. And, uh, yeah, no, the clubs, like, the only times the clubs would ask me to do their shows was if it was, uh, whatchamacallit, a roast battle or a comedy contest. And, like, most comedy contests, like, the people who, like, book the comedy contest, they already know mm. who they want to win. Mm. Like, there is, like, from the audience and stuff, but there's been, like, so many comedy contests I've done where we're just sitting there and, like, three guys at advance and it's because their friends are the judges they're just sitting there it's like did you laugh once during his set it's like nope it's all like fucking bullshit so and that dude, here, like, here's, second here's place my in the two comedy cents like, you didn't ask for him to give it to you anyways don't dumb your comedy down like i am i am a i'm a married I'm man with to. two kids i'm sorry not two kids i've got four kids like i am not your demographic for what you do but i loved it like, I absolutely loved it. Like, people are going to tell you that there's nobody who wants to hear that stuff. We do. Like, I love my my childhood was fucked up. Like, my my relationship with my family is is terrible. So I appreciate all that stuff. And like Louis C.K. said it best for me is that he wants to take us to places that feel unsafe at any other time. Take us there and make us laugh. So we're OK about it. Like, so you talking about your yeah. like dark childhood and like, you know, fighting with your sister and like, I, I, I identify with all that stuff. Like me and my brother, best friends most of the time, but we still fought as well. Like he beat me up all the time. Like that, that was normal for me. So hearing those kinds of jokes, because I can't, I can't write a joke like that. Hearing somebody else make a joke like that. I'm like, damn, that is especially funny. And I really, really appreciate you doing what you're doing. And I hate that there are people out there telling you that you need to change it in order to be successful. In today's in today's world, with the access that we have, once you find your audience, you're going to blow up. Like, I have no doubt about it that you are going to blow up as long as you do your best to stay out of your own way and like and capitalize on the, on the success. You're going to be you're yeah. going to be just as big as any any other Internet comedian, if not bigger. So. <laughs> I'm working um, on it. Is there anything I didn't ask you about today that you want to talk about? Yes, the NASA dolphin experiments. What? I just want the world to that, know. That sounds like something I need to NASA, know about. What? It's something everybody needs to know about. There was just a point in our country's time where NASA gave researchers a lot of money to pump dolphins full of LSD to try and teach them how to talk. So, we, like, the train of thought was if we could figure out how to talk to another intelligent animal on this planet, we'd be able to talk to intelligent life outside the planet, which I get that. But they had three dolphins, and one of them was a boy dolphin, and two were girl dolphins. 
but they'd like keep them separate. But the boy dolphin was to quote the researcher, a budding adolescent. Okay, so where this goes is the head researcher, because it was too time consuming to move the boy dolphin back to the female dolphins to quench oh. his thirsts and his needs. It was just faster if she took care of it herself. So this bitch was straight up just jerking off dolphins in the name of science. What? But like the like the story like Hustler found out about it and did a story, and then NASA pulled the funding because they like got found out. It's all like, hey, we agreed to give the dolphins drugs. We didn't say shit about sexually pleasing them. And like just the whole like when, just look it up. Just type in dolphin. When was this? It happened in like the nineteen sixties or nineteen oh seventies. Like I wanna say the sixties or seventies. It was like right before the drug war on drugs. And I'm like, okay. It's a like I think they just gave all the LSD to the dolphins. They don't want to tell us. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. But, but yeah, that shit really happened. Like I'm telling like whenever I have extra time on stage, I bring it up. Because I think people should know. <laughs> Because it like it just makes my day, and I'm like, okay, so we can't take drugs, but you'll pay for the dolphins to take the drugs. But also, it turns out LSD doesn't work on oh. dolphins. So then, so the so it was ultimately just yeah. a total freaking waste to do the whole research, all of it. I mean, except for yeah. that one dolphin who had a great time. Yeah, he did. But once she got fired and they got separated, he missed his oh. human, so he swam to the bottom of the tank Are and killed himself. Are you serious? His name was Peter the Dolphin. Damn dolphins are so yeah. like they're so human. Like or or we're so dolphin, however. They're hardcore. Like that's wild. Yeah. I didn't know that dolphins could commit suicide. That's depressing, but also amazing. Yeah. And the thing, what is more depressing and amazing about it? So dolphins are different than humans in the sense we don't have to think about breathing in and mm -hmm. out. We just do it. Every time a dolphin takes a breath, it's a conscious effort. They switch from, like, I think the left to the right side of their brain, like, in, out. But they have to think every breath is they take. Which is why they don't really sleep. <sighs> is that both above and underwater? That's wild. That That's, like, some... So, like, when dolphins kill themselves, they go down and literally just hold their breath. They can't just drown, drown. Whoa. Like, they actually have to stay down there and, like, Force it. Dude, that is that's wild. That is really, really wild. Yeah. Ooh. What do the next few months look like for you? Um I now I have the Hinchcliffe show on the 18th. I'm doing a show in Midland, Texas, October 27th. Uh I completely dipped into my savings for this because it's a really good friend and I've never been, so I just thought I'd take the opportunity. I bought tickets to go to New York to do my friend's show out there. Yeah. So I'm doing a show November 5th in New York at Brooklyn Art House, I think it's called. So I get to do a show out there. Um, I'm actually doing another show at a place called Pirates Den the same night I'm in town with Tony. So I'm going to do that show first and then go to the CD Dive Bar and do a set there too. And um, so I've got all that. Um, there is a gentleman who's talking to me about doing a five city tour in Texas. So I got to figure out how much to charge for that. Cause like he was asking my friend Hector, what my rates were for the show. I'm like, I don't fucking know. I'm used to being painted drink tokens. It's like, I don't know how to put a price. Just, like, like I'm going to tell, tell you this because they are asking for you 
set, like ask for more than you think that you're worth. Like, and if they say no, then come down after that. Okay. But ask, like start high and work down because okay. so many creatives, like performers, so many people undervalue the fact that somebody came to you to ask for your services. Oh, you disappeared. Yeah. I lost your picture, but I just okay, as long as I can still hear, we're good. I I know it's still recording. Oh. It's just like local. So okay. um yeah, I, that, that's exciting. I hope that they okay. I hope that that pans out, and I hope that you get paid more than you think that you could. Like that would be awesome. And um, I was listening to uh, Matt Rife and uh, Tom Segura on Two Men One Cave or Two Bears One Cave, and they were talking about routing. So this is something I'd never heard of before. But while you're in New York, try to do some other shows. Like since you're dipping in your savings, like make, make a time out of it and do like get as, get on as many places you can down there because who knows, you might pop off there as well because you are really, really funny. Um, I am excited for that. Um, also like, I don't know how familiar you are with Skank Fest. Not at all. Um, it's like one of the largest comedy festivals in the world. Um, I did the naked roast there this past, this last time in September. And I was like, I was officially on Skankfest last year, and that was like the proudest moment of my life because it was the first time I was accepted by a festival. Okay. Where like the booker saw me and they're like, yeah. And like, I didn't realize how selective the process was, but like, I think they said out of like a thousand something submissions, they only pick like 90 people. Wow. And I happened to be one of them. And um, I was super proud of that. And then I got to do the naked roast while I was there because, like, I was already on. And I'm like, can I do it if I'm already on the lineup? And they're like, we'll ask. And they're like, yeah, how do you feel about roasting a porn star? And I'm like, I'm down. So I got to roast Evan Stone, who is like one, like, he has a huge, like, lifetime porn star career. Like, he's been doing it since, like, the late 70s. Wow. He was in Pirates, which was like the biggest budgeted, budgeted porn film ever made. But I roasted him, and he did not age well. But he's still doing porn, oh, and no. it's funny. But now he's, like, in gilf porn. So the grandfather I'd oh, like to God. Or step-granddad or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I remember I was writing Rose for him, but I was just watching his porn for three hours straight, trying to think of insults. But, like, all of it was actually, like, pretty funny and, like, tasteful, and it wasn't rapey at all. And, like, my friend was taking a nap, and I take my headphones out, and I'm like, I don't think I can roast him. All this porn has been conceptual, and I didn't even know that was an option. And he, my friend Hector just started laughing at me. He's like, you're an idiot. And he went back to sleep. Did you just, like, try to, like, go after him for his technique or something? Or, like, you know, the way that you were supporting your back in that one position, like, I don't know what else you would make fun of him for. Well, like, he has long hair, and, like, his skin's leathery now. He does have a huge penis. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Well, he's a porn star. That's a given. Uh, like, wow. Um, now that he's older, like he has long hair, but he like his face is a little busted. But the first one, it's like give it up for Evan Stone. He looked like Caitlyn Jenner before it was cool, <laughs> and that got a huge pop. <sighs> and then the other one is like I think the hardest part about writing roast for you was finding a VHS player to watch your films. <laughs> Which I like that we're both up here naked, but you still look like you bought your outfit at Goodwill. That is awesome. I had like two more, but I don't remember what they are. But like, he didn't roast me back. He was just rolling on shrooms and he was just telling street jokes. And like by his third or fourth joke, the audience started booing him. And I'm like, shit. But everybody, it's all like, you, you were fucking great. Evan Stone sucks. That's hilarious. 
and I'm like, okay. Well, I want to I want to ask like you don't you don't have to but do it. But he's a super nice dude. But would you want to do one minute of uninterrupted comedy? Yeah. I w- I would love to have this kill Tony moment and just let uh, you do one minute of uninterrupted comedy on authentic on air, not kill Tony. Alright. <laughs> uh, you want me to start now or I'll wait till the little timer. I, I will. Oh, I'll have a uh, a clapping noise whenever your one minute is up, and then a drum roll whenever you've actually like the West Hollywood bear, but not at all. So, and okay, that's fair. You can More start at twenty. So, ready, set, go. Y'all ever do like nasty stuff when you're a kid? Um, here's what mine was. Me and my brother had a booger collection. And, like, we knew it was wrong. And, like, essentially it was us just picking our nose and wiping against the wall between our bunk bed. And, like, we kept it hidden from our mom, but she finds it one day and loses her mind and just starts pointing at it. And she's like, look, look at it, look at it. And me and my brother are like, yeah, that's why we have it. And, like, my mom's biggest thing was, look, if you guys want to be pieces of shit at home, act like animals at home, that's fine. But as far as the rest of the world is concerned, I'm a good fucking mother and you're good fucking kids. This was the exception. After the booger wall, she marched us door to door like registered sex offenders and made us tell everybody what we did, which looking back now upsets me because I have actual sex offenders in my family and they didn't have to do that shit. And, uh, yeah, the story ends with her taking us to a priest and the priest looked at us like, look, my children, putting boogers on the wall in itself is not a sin, but you definitely made Jesus (laughs) sad. That's... That was perfect timing. That was one minute of comedy from Celia Contreras. Celia, I have had a great time talking to you today. I hope that you've enjoyed the experience as well. Where can I people find it. you online and uh, find out more about you if they're interested? All right. So I do have a lot of like podcasts that are like starting to pop up now, but um, like a guest on them and I'll post links for that. Just look me up, Celia Contreras on Facebook. Sometimes it's hard to find me. Sometimes I pop up right away definitely easier to find me on instagram which is celia c-e-l-i-a underscore a underscore gram g-r-a-m like i'll sell you a gram and um yeah and if you just type in my name celia Contreras comedy on either tiktok or youtube my youtube channel will pop up all right thank you for being such a great guest and being honest and vulnerable with your story (laughs) There is a lot of information there that I think that a lot of people will identify with. So I think that you have huge things coming in your future. If you stay the course and keep using your story as a powerful thing to make people laugh and to connect with them. And I am so appreciative that I got the chance to connect with you. So. I am too. I'm glad you you. reached out. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. I really appreciate the feedback and it helps me get heard by more listeners. Follow this podcast so you get lo- get updates about new episodes and live streams. If you are interested in bonus or behind the scenes content, go check out the Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander Patreon page. Share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it right now. Check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content. And don't forget to like at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the authentic YouTube or sorry, the authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video and impactful clips from my conversations with these amazing guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your life, 
or your family, I would love to help you. <clears throat> Authentic Identity Management does identity and authenticity <laughs> coaching to help you align your true self with the identity you share with the world. It is exhausting to love someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or email Bruce at authentic identity management.com to set up a free 30 minute consultation to help you get started living your authentic life. That is it for today's episode. Thank you for listening until next time. Be yourself and love yourself. Bye everyone.